This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. Best bits from Thursday, December the 21st, where we spoke to Nicholas McDonough who's a senior MD in the region for Tenio. Now, the reason we got him in was because, obviously, Tenio consultants for CEOs across the region, therefore got their finger on the pulse when it comes to deals being done, not just IPOs, but also mergers and acquisitions. Statistics show that M&As, mergers and acquisitions, are down throughout the year, that 2023 has not been a great year for that. Uh, They are global statistics. We wanted to reflect on that, but also see if it was the same case here in the region and ask uh, Nick for his sort of take on what 2024 has to offer and already in the pipeline. Talking of 2023, uh, the team from Husby are enjoying a good end to 2023. In fact, record-breaking numbers coming out of their financing, their brokerage, their mortgage department. Uh, They have broken records, not just for themselves, but for the region, as uh, for the industry as a whole. The head of Brokers Channel, Sawan Carrier, was in to reflect on those numbers and tell us what it means for, A, them, but also what it means for the market moving in into 2024 as well when it comes to the demand for mortgages. Matt Stanley's the client liaison lead, Middle East, Africa and Asia for Kepler. He was in studio live, full of festive uh, fare. Uh, and of course, reflecting on the events in the Red Sea at the moment. Matt's got his finger very much on that pulse. Uh, why? Because they've got the tech that monitors the movement up of all the major shipping lines around the world. So I wanted to get his take on what's happening at the moment, but equally how it can be solved and what sort of knock-on effect it's going to have on the economy as a whole. Plus, a couple of big stories for us to get reaction to uh, live in studio a little earlier on today. Big stories that are continuing to develop. The Hollywood Studio Merger, two of the biggest studios over in Hollywood, coming up with a suggestion that they might well merge to try and combat uh, the growth of the video streaming platforms, which are taking a large portion of the business at the moment. And that Pure Health IPO, they went live on the ADX yesterday. They had an absolute blockbuster of a day on day one of trading. Samir Lakhani put that one into context for us. That's all right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast Podcast. Keep an eye on Pure Health. They are, without doubt, the UA's largest healthcare group. Uh, they and uh, Their value soared uh, yesterday. Why debut uh, on the ADX, the Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange, after the IPO that raised uh, just shy of a billion dollars. Uh, Shares in the company, whose offering registers significant demand from investors in the UA and the region, opened at 550, surged as high as 577 before settling at 574 at the close. So a good day at the office for all those invested in pure health. That's just 10% of the value of the company itself. Um, Let's get some thoughts on this one. Um, uh, We are going to ask Samir Lakhani, Managing Director of Global Capital Partners, to put this into context for us. What could it mean for us, for investors? And what does it say for the UA's capital market uh, coming uh, at the end of 2023? What does it sort of signal with regards to the market for next year? 
The pop in the first day share price of Pure Health has come to a little surprised for the investors that had subscribed to it, as indicated by the rising levels of oversubscription that we have seen for IPOs in 2023, both in Dubai and in Abu Dhabi. At the end, it's not just about the first day performance, it's about investors latching on to the fact that there are superior companies offering compelling fundamental valuations. It's the valuation story that will drive the capital markets in 2024, along with increased levels of merger activity, acquisition activity, recovery activity, as well as corporate activity that we have seen recently with Bayanath and uh, Yasat. So uh, not all IPOs will do well. There's there's no surprise to hear that. But uh, the rising levels of interest uh, that we have seen both by the retail and the institutional investors indicate that 2024 uh, promises to be another great year for the capital markets as the region moves front and center towards becoming a global financial center. Big thanks to Samir Lakhani from Global Capital Partners there for his input on that one. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Let's talk potential mergers now. Not just any old merger, it is a mega merger. But is it Mission Impossible? Yeah, as we've just heard, Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Global apparently in early talks to merge. When you hear early talks here, two men had a lunch. Uh, the deal would see the owner of HBO channels and CNN. Uh, they'd be teaming up with the studio behind the Mission Impossible films and CBS News. So, yeah, that lunch was between the Warner chief executive, David Zaslav, and the Paramount chief, Bob Backish. Uh, they met at Paramount in New York this week. Clearly, they didn't manage to do it very secretly because it's been covered in pretty much every single broadsheet uh, over the last 24 hours. Talks are at an early stage. The FT reckons a deal might not happen, according to the sources they've been speaking to. But that isn't going to stop us from speculating. Join now on the line by Hans Fraken, a veteran media consultant. He's currently the founding principal and chairman of Madrigal Pictures. He is formerly Abu Dhabi Film Commissioner. He has been woken up by us this morning and joins us now on Teams. Hans, good to see you. How are you? Good morning, Georgia. I do wake up earlier than nine in the morning. Oh, I know you do. I know you do. You've just been mentally preparing for your appearance on the Business Breakfast over the last uh, few hours. Tell me about this deal. Would it make sense? Well, you know, as you said in your intro, it is very early days. And, uh, it, it, you know, it was the worst kept secret about, uh, you know, uh, Zaslav and Bakish meeting because there's been discussion around Hollywood with the investment bankers, M&A, uh, M&A companies, consultants, you know, uh, the health of media companies' balance sheets, since uh, especially since streaming, has been the talk of the town for a long, long time. Um, but one thing is for sure, I, you know, well, I wouldn't put too much weight on any big deal happening in, 2000, in 2024, um, especially because the regulatory backdrop is, been, is totally unchanged. And also there's something called the reverse Morris truck lock-in period. So you'll remember that Discovery and Warner Brothers merged uh, not long ago. And this is uh, the reverse Morris Trust is basically a method of tax avoidance. 
and you'll never see an M&A during this lockup period. And that, that ends in April. And the time that they would get the negotiations together, their ducks in order, nothing would happen, I don't think, in 2024. But um, to be... To be truthful, uh, the, Warner, uh, Paramount has not only been talking to uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, you know, they do have piles of debt that are putting pressure on their free cash flow. And without free cash flow, it's very hard to produce. And as you know, these, these films and TV shows, you know, cost hundreds of millions of dollars to produce. So they do need an option. Very similar to when Disney bought 20th Century Fox uh, three four years ago. Very similar to when Amazon, the streaming uh, studio, bought uh, MGM Studios at the beginning of this year. So, so there does have to be kind some kind of synergy, if not acquisition, uh, that will you know that will allow Paramount to continue. Um, and you know, I mentioned there's been other talks. So, so, and you, you, you were talking about Mission Impossible. Well, Mission Impossible was actually co-produced between uh, Paramount Studios and a uh, independent production company called Skydance, which is one of the biggest indies in Hollywood. And Skydance is owned by David Ellison, and that name might ring a bell because he is the son of Larry Ellison, the founder and owner of Oracle. And so they were talking, they had exploratory talks about a, a possible uh, merger or acquisition. Uh, there's also been talks with NBC, uh, Universal NBC, but that looks unlikely because of the FCC's uh, two network rule. FCC is the Federal Communications Commission, and they disallow two broadcast channels under the same roof. Paramount Global owns CBS and uh, Universal owns NBC. So that would probably be unlikely. And then the third option is is another streaming acquisition, like I uh, just mentioned, uh, Amazon yeah. uh, acquiring MGM. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so interesting is, uh, is that do you think it's going to shake down as the Hollywood studios merge? Or do you think what's going to come along is we're going to get one of the massive streaming, the massive tech companies coming along to subsume them up like... I don't know, gobbling well, things. Yeah, it's 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 really at this stage it's very unclear because uh, the streamers don't have the, um, the they're not as as cash rich as they weren't once were even though but that cash was uh, largely through debt. Um, you know, they you, we've seen for the last six months now they're they've been cutting back in the number of shows they finance and produce. Um, even Netflix. Um, so, so you know, we may see also, what we may see also is Paramount Global deciding to take bids in uh, parts of their assets. For example, Paramount Studios, and uh, which is not to be confused with Paramount Plus, the streaming service, and its lot. And just the studio on the lot is probably valued at about $12 billion. So, um, you know, it really depends. And Comcast, who is very cash rich, much, much uh, richer than both uh, um, Paramount or, of course, uh, Viacom. So, so there may be some kind of consolidation or merger 
uh, with Comcast next year, but and Comcast are the ones that own NBC. So I, I can't, all bets are on right now. I can't tell you how similar this is, and I and I've and this is awful for anyone who hasn't seen the morning show. But I can't tell you how similar this whole plot is. It's not a plot; it's real life. But how similar it is to the plot of season three of the morning show. It, it's. <laughs> It's, it's almost identical and, and slightly odd. What does it mean for us? You know, if we're going to see these mergers between Hollywood studios or where the tech companies buy a Hollywood studio, does that mean more or less content? Um, it means it means uh, it means more uh, content. It means more cash to be able to produce uh, these expensive uh, pieces of content. It, and it also means... Uh, it, it, probably more streamlined distribution because I've heard you say in previous, I think we talked about we it, have, how, yeah. you know, you, you can be subscribed to seven or eight platforms now if you want to get, you know, Marvel and Disney plus and, and, and Game of Thrones and HBO. So, so these consolidations also, uh, you know, favor the consumer where you don't have to keep spending um, you, you know, you can reduce your disposable income in terms of uh, streaming subscriptions. So, you know, um, Warner, when, when, you know, when, um, when Warner Brothers Discovery uh, merged at the beginning of this year, they also merged their two platforms, which was uh, Max and, um, and Showtime. And that seems to be working quite well. Um, Hands so, up. I'm going to have to grab you there because we're nearly out of time. I could talk about this no. for, for hours. There's so many different facets to it. But it's been a great pleasure to have you join us at short notice here on The Business Breakfast. Thank you for your time. Festive greetings. You've been listening to Hans Fraken, veteran media consultant, founding principal and chairman of Madrigal Pictures and formerly Abu Dhabi Film Commissioner. Thank you for your time. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Uh, we are turning now to a story that has been headlining uh, our news all week. It is the disruption of the Red Sea. Uh, global supply chains likely to face severe disruption. Uh, and that is set to continue if the world's biggest shipping companies have to continue to divert their vessels. So far, more than 120 container ships are taking the long route around Africa and there is no end in sight. Joining us now to give us a sense of how big an impact this is likely to have on global trade and ultimately us, because it will eventually, um, is Matt Stanley, client liaison lead for the Middle East, Africa and Asia for Kepler and also co-host of the Smoking Barrel podcast. Extraordinarily, this is Matt, the first time I've actually met you. I know. But I feel like I know you. You're not the Matt with the cat though, are you? No, no, that's you're not the, definitely, definitely that's not me. Not, you're the other, definitely you're the, not me. distinctly the other Matt. Um, tell me a bit about how shipping companies are handling this security situation, because obviously you've got a close eye on that. You've got the tech yeah. that monitors them. What, what is there anything they can do other than just turn around? Well, I mean, it's it's unfortunately it's no. Uh, difference between what happened in the in the past you know there's always been an issue Djibouti was always an issue piracy there we've all seen Captain Phillips for those who haven't watched that it is frightfully um, similar what is going on right now but it's it's the scale of attacks that are happening by the Houthi rebels in the Straits of Yemen um, with ballistic missiles with drones it's it the ships just simply aren't ready for it um and, you know, the danger to seafarers, it's unfortunately, it's a global problem as well. It doesn't just happen in the Middle East or Red Sea. There's West Africa, it happens, Straits of Malacca in, in Malaysia. Um, and, and for a while now, 
owners have been ready with mitigants, armed guards, um, you know, in order to take evasive action, which Maersk had to do last week after a missile attack. It's a sad state of affairs. Um, and owners have had to take the, um, the drastic approach, which is to not transit through the Suez Canal. So now they're going around the Cape of Good Hope instead. How big a deal is that for global trade? You know, how big a passage is the Suez Canal? Well, look, I mean, to put it into context, and my, num- my brain is going through lots and lots of numbers, but it's the 21st of December, so bear with me. Um, about a trillion dollars a year of trade goes through the Suez Canal. So if you t- take that onto a daily basis, it's a substantial amount. Um, it varies by commodity, but on average, about 10% of global trade transits through the Suez Canal. Um, and the biggest effect will happen, biggest effect across the barrel, if you're just talking about oil right now, will be jet fuel. About a third of Europe's jet fuel imports come, come through the Suez Canal. So if the first part of, if you're talking about the implications to the end user, Europe will really start feeling a pinch about jet fuel prices within the next two or three weeks. There's not enough cargoes there. Um, now, look, it's not a long-term effect, it's, an, it's a short-term, but it's going to add uh, significant costs to the end user, um, whether that's all passed down in one lot or it's, or it's amortised over the course of the year. No one really knows. It's still an evolving situation. This time last week, Brent was still trading around 73. Now it's 80, it's 10% higher. What does that mean for freight costs? There were only three owners this time last week who weren't transiting through the Suez. Now there's about 15. So... What happens? How does that situation evolve after Santa has been? I don't know, but um, it's it's certainly not getting better. Is it going to impact Christmas or have most no. goods already arrived? No, they're, they're all, look, I mean, I, I say most people are organising they've done their Christmas shopping. I'm straight to MOE after this. Um, Tom well, won't go till the 24th on yeah. principle. Well, I, I don't blame him. Emirat petrol stations are, are very useful for yeah. lots of different things. Yeah. Um, no, but it's, it's whatever, you know, it, it, you, you take, there will be for a container line going from Taiwan to Rotterdam, for example, which is a, probably the most traded route, it adds about 10 days. But for a, for a, for a, a jet cargo going from Ruiz in Abu Dhabi into the Med, it adds on around 15 days. So it depends very much on the, on the commodity. But in terms of end-user goods, if, you know, Barbenheimer merch, it's, it should already be there. Otherwise, call Jeff Bezos. <laughs> has, has freight got cheaper in the last year? And is it about to be a bit of a shock when it starts to go up again? Um, it's steadied. Okay. Uh, you're right in that this time last year it was, it was higher. Um, but there, was, there were myriad issues this time last year compounding into the inflation argument, the cost of living crisis. Um, now that's settled down. But the last week, it's done a complete hockey stick. You know, LNG is the one that people are really watching. I said to Brandy and Rich uh, earlier on this year that, you know, the whole energy complex last year was driven predominantly higher by the gas crisis in Europe when Russia were boxed. Um, And then that drove up secondary fuels like diesel. Because if you can't use gas to fire a power plant, you use a secondary feedstock like diesel. Now, LNG freight has completely roofed this week, so it's significantly higher. Um, but that's down to a, a few issues that, you know, the, there's not just issues in the choke point about the Suez Canal, just moving on from the Red Sea issues. The Panama Canal, which is obviously another big choke point in, in Central America, that's suffered significant drought problems. So that that's traffic there is down by about 20%. Can you tell me what the drought issue, why is, why is the drought a problem? Well, with it's a, a lock canal? system, right? So oh, you, I see. you need water in order for a boat to go up or down, depending on what lock situation it needs to go through. And when there's not enough water, then the locks can't fill. So, so they the, just can't send as many ships through. Correct. So that has that has caused now that not not as much impact on on oil, but gas it certainly has. The, all the U.S. producers going to Asia use the Panama Canal. 
what it doesn't, what it means is it's not necessarily the issue in that place, the Suez or the Panama. It's the far-reaching effects throughout the whole supply chain. That's what the market's con- concerned about, and that's why you see the ten percent rise in energy prices this week. So obviously, oil and gas huge deal for the, for this region. But how about you know, as a consumer, as a shopper, what type of products are going to be disrupted? You know, am I going to start noticing that things? aren't appearing on the shelves in if, if I go back to Europe in January. That's, that's a good point. I mean, you had on, um, you know, DP World this week who were c- concerned about what's happening with, you know, DP World, one of the world's biggest operators. Jebel Ali is the ninth biggest port in the world. It's the biggest port in, in the Middle East. These container lines don't go from one point to the next and wait for the next voyage. They continue on a voyage from one port to the next where they drop off and pick up. If that supply chain is disrupted, i.e. Red Sea, if you are a Saudi importer of goods, how are you going to get the, the material there? It's going to take longer because instead of it coming from Jebel Ali into, say, Yambu, um, which is in the Red Sea, then it'll have to go around the Cape of Good Hope. And then you're talking about a 20-day um, increase in, 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 in delivery. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a short-term impact. It just means it's sourced from elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And when there's not enough of something, the prices do go up. So I think the short-term impact on end-user prices will be felt until it sort of settles down by mid-Q1, if from, things don't escalate. Well, if they don't escalate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about the other logistical alternatives? Uh, I mean, I saw talk of rail. I saw talk of air. Is that just not really conceivable for the, for the volume of goods that we see going through this rail, rail, no. The infrastructure just simply isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, look, it comes back to the COVID point. You know, look at that, how quickly things people were to pivot. Um, cargo freight roofed. Emirates largely relied on some on some um, you know some income from their from their cargo routes instead of passenger travel. So that 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 can pick up, but it, it can't do the level of you know. The, Fresh goods, yes, but you know, if you want a car, it's very difficult to put it in the bottom of a triple seven. Yeah, a lot of them was least fortune. Yeah, Less exactly. Lamborghini. Yeah, it will. They're quite. not going to do it, are they? Yeah. Uh, Matt, always a pleasure to have you in. Thank you so much for joining us on the Business Breakfast this morning. And that was the voice of Matt Stanley, client liaison lead for the Middle East, Africa, and Asia for Kepler, also co-host of the Smoking Barrel podcast. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Well, let's talk mortgages if we can. Let's talk uh, borrowing and let's talk real estate. Why? Husby, the UAE headquartered prop tech startup, they've announced that its mortgage unit in the UAE has processed a record uh, uh, in home financing in November of this year. Rather than steal their um, thunder, let's get the thoughts straight from uh, the team at Husby. Now, head of brokers channel at Husby is Sawan Kadia, who's been kind enough to join us earlier this morning here on the business breakfast. Swan, thanks so much indeed for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Talk about the numbers then. What have you done in November of this year? Well, uh, let me start off by just giving you a brief introduction to Husby. Husby is a prop tech startup founded in 2019 with a mission to solve um, and, and simplify the home buying process. Um, we're born out of the UAE, so homegrown and expanded into, into Europe now. Um, and we're involved with both real estate and mortgages. Mm. So about the announcement, as, as you say, we've uh, achieved a record 1 billion dirhams worth of mortgages. Uh, in, in, in the month of November. Um, 
Now, this is not only a record for Husby, but a record for the industry. Uh, no other financial institution in the UAE has ever achieved a, million, a, a billion dirhams worth of mortgages in a single month uh, in retail mortgages. So we're really proud and, and I want to take this opportunity to, to thank our partners and customers for supporting us through the journey. So growth and significant growth, record growth for you and for the market as a whole, uh, growth in home finance. But what does that reflect? What does that show us about the state of um, uh, the real estate market as a whole here at present? Well, uh, the real estate market is is certainly uh, booming. Mm. Uh, we've had a, a huge influx of uh, population that's coming into the UAE over the last couple of years. Um, a lot of new capital that's been deployed into the real estate market. And this is certainly helping uh, the, the, the boost in, in, in uh, real estate uh, growth. We've seen interest rates go up throughout the year as well. They've been hiked in line with what's happening over in the United States. That doesn't seem to have uh, worked as a detriment at all. No, quite on the contrary. I, I guess, uh, you know, if I look at interest rates last year, 2022 January, the three-month EBOR was sat at 0.3% approximately. Uh, yesterday, 5.37%. So a huge increase in, in interest rates. rates. And yet, uh, this year, Dubai or the UAE has grown by 1.4x uh, growth in, in, in the sector. So certainly hasn't deterred um, you know, the, 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 the investment into the real estate sector. I mean, what's nice about what you guys at Husby are doing is that gives you, you're able to sort of compare and contrast as well. You look at rates around the world, etc. We've seen interest rates hiking up uh, pretty much across the world throughout 2023. Are we still competitive here when it comes to rates in the UAE? Yeah, well, uh, I believe so. Um, today, uh, rates, mortgage lending rates on the retail side are, do start at 4.24%. Mm. Now, you compare this to the US market as an example, uh, rates range between 7 to 8%. In India, 9% plus. Uh, so still very, very competitive from a rate perspective. Um, also, to, to, to note that you know, the, 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 the rental yields, the ROI in the UAE that the UAE can offer is, is anywhere between 6 to 10%. Mm. Uh, so, so there is still uh, a, a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, benefit mm. um, to, to, to go down the mortgage route at four and a quarter, four and a half percent with, um, with the returns of six to 10%. Certainly seeing that in yeah. terms of demand for property here at the moment, plus the FDI, uh, foreign direct investment coming into the country throughout 2023. So I think it's fair to say that we can uh, put 2023 down as a good year for the market, that's for sure. But what about the potential for growth in that market? What are you and the team at Husby expecting for 2024? So look, 2024, we're expecting a further boost. Um, uh, there, the, the, the Fed met a couple of days back and, and held rates. The anticipation is that rates will come down um, you know, at least three times next year, up to 0.75. There is an 85% likelihood that uh, rates will drop in March. So this should boost uh, demand further. There is a lot of inventory coming into the market as well. So this, this certainly helps the, 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 the market. Um, so we, we, we do truly believe that with, with rates coming down, coupled with, with the, the inventory and the government initiatives that have been put in place, we're expecting further growth next year. I mean, looking at your position in the market and the fact that your technology, innovative technology, um, is very much at the heart of the 
the, the, the ecosystem of property and real estate at the moment um, by giving transparency and access to all players in that market. Are, are there sort of banks that are doing it better? Are they offering consumers better rates and better options than others at the moment? Are there, are there the banks out there, the, the, the institutions, the lenders at present who are doing it better than others? Well, uh, there are some banks that are obviously uh, a lot more competitive from yep. a rate perspective. Uh, rates range uh, for resident uh, residents; they range between four and a quarter percent up to five and a quarter percent. So there is uh, quite a lot of competition. The banks are plush with the liquidity right now. Um, so, so those with with a lot of liquidity are are uh, offering really, really attractive mortgage products. Uh, a lot of banks have also now ventured into. A handful of banks ventured into um, non-resident lending. Mm. So they're also catering for the non-residents wanting to invest in in, in Dubai or UAE real estate. Um, What are the best offers out there in the market? Are you allowed to give us any uh, individual uh, examples? Or again, is there uh, something for everyone? Well, look, uh, the the Abu Dhabi banks are leading with the rates currently, uh, starting at 424 uh, and and 444. However, I'd like to kind of just highlight that, you know, the, 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 the lowest rate is not necessarily the Correct. best mortgage, yeah. right? So there's a num- number of factors that make up a mortgage product. You've got your initial mortgage interest rate, could be a fixed or a variable. Uh, if fixed, uh, we've got to look at a, the, the revert or the follow-on rate. Uh, a mortgage is generally a medium to long-term commitment. So one must ensure they get a good rate throughout the mortgage period and not just for a couple of years. We also have to take into consideration the costs associated within the mortgage, right? So um, processing, bank processing fees, valuation fees, you've got mandatory life and property insurance. Uh, so so you must take uh, all of these costs into consideration when you do a full cost analysis. Um, and finally, the flexibility that's built on the back end of, of the mortgage. So your exit penalties, your overpayments. All of these things make, a, make up a mortgage product. So not always the lowest rate is, is the best mortgage. Congratulations on those record numbers. Thanks for leading from the front as well. Uh, 20 seconds remaining, Sawan. Good year for Husby, 2023? Oh, it's been a, a brilliant year. Uh, we started off uh, you know, in January at, at half a billion, and we've doubled our book uh, within a year. So very, very chuffed and Teams are happy. Market's happy. Uh, we're all happy. So, Carrier, Head of Brokers Channel at Husby. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you for having me. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Taking a look at the world of mergers and acquisitions now, because if we're honest, 2023 was a pretty depressing year for those in M&A around the world as things like recession fears, inflation and, of course, high interest rates made capital pretty hard to come by. So how is 2024 looking? Let's find out. Well, according to a new study by the global CEO advisory firm Tenio, things are looking up. And that is despite concerns about that tougher regulatory oversight that is going to come into force. And let's be honest, the continuing higher cost of capital. Let's find out more details of that survey. Uh, Joined in the studio now by Nicholas McDonough, who is a Senior Managing Director in the region for Tenio. Nicholas, thank you for getting up early and coming in to see us. How are you? Great. Thanks for inviting us in. Where did you get the data for this survey? Yep. So we have... um uh, so we're, as, as the title in the, uh, in the name says, we are a CEO advisory firm. 
And um, as part of that, what we do, we have our own in-house research and analytics group as well, who do conduct a lot of these type of surveys, researching, polling, etc. as well. So um, for the second year in a row now, we've decided towards the end of the year, looking into the next year, what are some of the key things on the agendas for a lot of our CEO clients? And so for the second year in a row, we've conducted this survey with about 260 global CEOs and also leading investors um, who represent about 3.6 trillion of value. Wow. And basically finding out what it is, what's on their agenda for next year, what's keeping them awake at night, what are the things that are really, you know, that they're looking for next year about how they're going to manage and navigate their businesses, basically. Having taken a quick look at the survey, certainly an impression that people in the industry are feeling pretty bullish about 2024. Yeah, there's kind of about three or four take, key takeaways from the survey this year. The one is around what you alluded to earlier on, which is macroeconomics. So generally speaking, you know, CEOs and investors are a lot more bullish about 2024. Um, Investors are a lot more bullish about the macro environment, uh, particularly in the second half of the year as well. Only, I think, something like just over 50% of CEOs think that the first half of next year is going to improve. So a bit of a, you know, a, bit of a discrepancy mm-hmm. between investors and CEOs. And then the other things that really are on the agenda are um, they both sides see a lot of M&A next year, an improved M&A, improved environment. Um, both sides... um, preparing for a lot more disruption. So obviously we have a lot of uh, elections next year around the world. There's actually 40. It's one of my favourite stats of next year. There's 40 national elections. Yeah, I think it's the largest ever people, the largest ever vote globally that's happened. Yeah. And so a lot of CEOs looking at their businesses, trying to figure out and navigate what that means for their businesses, particularly in the US with the US election coming up as well. Mm. And then things like ESG, while it's still very much on the agenda, particularly in Europe, CEOs sort of looking a little bit about their ESG programs and their DE&I programs and trying to figure out what's the best way to tweak those or you know, what, what is the direction they need to go in that aligns with their business goals. And then the other big thing on their agenda as well is, is technology disruption and particularly AI. Oh, I wondered how long it would take before we talked about artificial intelligence because it does seem to be the top line in nearly all the interviews that, that we're doing on both the Business Breakfast and the agenda at the moment. Are people in the industry concerned? Are they nervous about the impact of AI? Do they see it as a friend or or as a foe? Well, I think most uh, CEOs and investors clearly see that AI is now here. It's it's somewhat mainstream. And I think they're, they're sort of grappling with how that's going to impact their businesses. And more importantly, how do they then um, integrate AI into their businesses? Do they have the right people? Which is a big concern, I think. And, you know, the surveys show that I think it was 25% of CEOs felt that they, had, they, they hadn't got the right people in place, mm. which some investors sort of thought that actually they think that CEOs are underestimating the impact on their people, the skills they need, the skills gap and that type of thing as well. So AI, you know, very much this is the year, 2023 has been the year when AI basically has come onto the real agenda for boards and for CEOs. Yeah, and everyone's trying to figure out how on earth to incorporate it. Did you notice a difference between the regions in this survey? Yeah, so we did, uh, we don't put it into the survey, but we did do a breakdown of different regions as well. There is some breakdown within regions in the survey a little bit. But, you know, this region in particular, much more bullish on the macroeconomic side, um, much more bullish um, regional CEOs, regional investors, 
um, much more bullish when it comes to, comes to access to capital, some concern over the, the cost of capital. Uh, that was across the board globally as well. So, pe- so basically CEOs thinking, you know, I want to do M&A and all the rest of it, but it's probably going to be more expensive to get the finance for that. Mm. Um, and then on the AI side, uh, again, in, in particular for this region, there was a lot more concern with CEOs and investors in the region about the cost of AI and implementing AI, as opposed to places like in the States or in Europe, where people were more concerned about the tools and if they had the right people and that type of thing for it as well. So a little bit of a few discrepancies. Generally speaking, the trends are all sort of, you know, aligned around the world. Um, but there was a very, very strong impact from investors in this region around M&A next year. I think, I think, it was, I think we had a 100% hit rate from regional investors bullish on M&A prospects into the next year. Can you, I mean, this is all sounding very positive, but there must be some headwinds. Are there, are there Well, concerns? I think the, I mean, as I said earlier on, one of the things that are concerning people is disruption. So political okay. disruption, technology disruption, deglobalization was a big deal as well. Um, companies and CEOs now um, looking at deglobalization and how that's going to impact their businesses, their supply chains and this type of thing as well. So that's something I think where, where, which is keeping some CEOs and some investors up at night. Okay, we'll have to talk a lot about deglobalization in the new year then. Nicholas McDonough, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Lovely Great. to have you here. Uh, Senior Managing Director in the region for Tenio. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.